When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Yo, what up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition of Hardwood Handicappers solo today. We're going to start getting into it a little bit more. Guests starting to talk to Aaron Redding. He's going to join us next week. Get his thoughts on the impending NBA season. Kelly Bidlin will be with us later in the week as usual. But it's the, the day. Today is the day. Season tips off to, tonight in, in an hour to give you an idea of when I'm recording this. So we won't have pretty much anything, actually, on the opening night games. I've been all over VSIN and whatnot. Write-ups are up there, so you get an idea. And by the time you listen to this, uh, let's see if I can be, if I'm good at predicting the future. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Golden State Warriors will both be 1-0. How about that? All right. So today, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, We're going to look ahead a little bit to Wednesday, but in a different sense. Not so much like the actual games, but some of the teams that we really haven't given a lot of love to here and the focus of today's episode, I wanted to be uh, what I call taking positions or the positions I will take as we enter the year. And some of you know the positions that I'm going to take entering the year. Uh, I've already made it known with uh, my futures wagers, right? But um, when it comes to some positions that I'm going to take on a day-to-day basis, those are some conversations that I think are worth having and expanding on, especially as we get closer to what is going to be the first full slate of action on Wednesday. Um, so with that, also want to update too, before we get a little bit further on, uh, we are settling in on the podcast schedule. They will be twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays after this week uh, will be what we're looking at. Um, a little bit of a personal issue on my end on Sunday night, early Monday, that kind of threw the whole schedule into whack. So look for those as we move forward. Kelly will be with us on Thursday. So before we get to the uh, 
hardcore part of our episode. Let's take a little bit of a look at the news. Uh, Not a lot of news to really go over. The first thing that we should talk about, though, that I think is impactful and it ties into a preseason position that I've taken on the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the Mavericks signed Facundo Campazzo. It was Tuesday, late Monday, early Tuesday, in a move which I would deem as desperate is probably strong. Um, but this was the thing with the Dallas Mavericks that I have hit on, that if you read any bit of analysis on the Dallas Mavericks, uh, it has more than likely hit on, which is the fact that this backcourt rotation outside of Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie is completely up in the air and a massive question mark for the Dallas Mavericks. And it also looks, to make it even worse, that Frank Nelikina is in danger of missing this game coming up on Wednesday against the Phoenix Suns. So all of this put together... Facundo Campazzo has been added to the roster for the Dallas Mavericks. And Facundo Campazzo was a teammate with Luka Doncic when they played at Real Madrid. So there is some, I guess, continuity there from at least a relationship standpoint. And I think a lot of people might look at Facundo Campazzo and be like, hey, look, solid addition. Like it. Two years in Denver was a solid player, yada, yada, yada. I, I don't really think that's the case. And I don't think this by any stretch fixes what's going on with this Dallas Mavericks roster and what their biggest weakness is, which is point guard and just guard rotation in general. So let's think about this for a second. So I mentioned Frank Nilekina. Before the Facundo Composito signing, the primary rotation after Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic figured to, pre- figured to be Frank Nilekina, Jaden Hardy, Josh Green. The returns in the preseason for all three of those guys have been kind of uneven. We know that Frank Nilekina is essentially a zero on offense. Jaden Hardy, obviously a rookie. We have no idea. And Josh Green has been fine in his time as a pro, but ultimately has graded out as Kind of a negative and not entirely sure if he's going to be a primary backup guard. Um, so you got to address this. Facundo Cabazzo is a means to an end there. However, there's a couple of things that I think bother me with this. First, the first and most importantly, uh, is that Facundo Cabazzo is not good. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the first part uh, that we should. And I should also note, Josh Green has been a positive. Uh, it's been barely positive, but he's been a positive. But he's more of a wing anyway. Um, you know, the, his rookie year, plus 2.3 efficiency differential, or he improved the Mavericks net rating by 2.3 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. He's been very solid defensively, but he's not a guard, and he's not a shooting guard or a point guard either. So you needed another ball handler and a playmaker. Faguna Campazzo maybe fits that. But Campazzo has not been good. If you look at his two years in Denver, his first season there, uh, the offensive rating with Facundo Campazzo on the floor, um, it got worse by 6.1 points per 100 possessions. Last year, it was abysmal, 14.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, That's how much it got worse by when Facundo Campazzo hit the floor last season for the Denver Nuggets. Everything dropped off. Their effective field goal percentage dropped by 5.9%. Their turnover rate jumped by 1.8%. We'll expand on that momentarily. Offensive rebounding took a hit. Obviously, it's going to make sense. He's smaller, whatever. Um, free throw rate, three fewer free throws made per 100 possessions. It, all of the offensive numbers drastically took a massive dip last season. And it is somewhat explained by the fact that when Nikola Jokic was not out there last season, the Denver Nuggets were not good. But Facundo uh, Campazzo himself is just not a positive player. He's very undersized, uh, insanely small when it comes to his actual measurements. I think, what do they list him at at this point right now? I think he's like 5'8". I could be wrong on that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm underselling him. Um, but the point is, is that Facundo Campazzo. No, I was wrong. Okay, five ten. Excuse me. Uh, five eight would be pretty wild. So he's five foot ten. Uh, not a good defender. He is severely undersized. So many matchups one on one, he's losing on the defensive end. 
Uh, he's not giving you anything in terms of rebounds unless they're long rebounds off creating three-point shots. And a lot of people, I think, initially would say, well, he's a really nifty passer, right? I think when when he got signed, you saw a lot of that pop up, like, oh, Facuna Campazzo and all these wonderful passes and how great he is. Well, it's not really the case. Like, it, it is the case, but it's because he takes risks. It's why when he's out there on the floor each of the two seasons with Denver, his first year, their turnover rate increased by 1.2% when he was on the floor, and last year it increased by 1.8%. He he takes risks with his passes, and so while that might lead to some highlight passes, it also leads to some boneheaded passes, which results in turnovers and then fast breaks on the other end. And defensively, he's a fine defender, but when you're looking at him on the floor, the defensive rating Denver last year got worse by 2.4 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. They overall had a negative 9.8 net rating when he was on the floor, it's just not really, I think, a great addition. I think it's an addition because they needed to make it. It's an addition because there's a connection with Luka Doncic. But it is not something that is going to greatly improve and or fix the issues that the Dallas Mavericks are going to face with this backcourt. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how this plays out because the top is heavy. I mean, the top is good. Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic are great. But as you move forward into the season and those bench minutes, it's going to be really incredible to see. And more than likely, you're going to see Dinwiddie and Doncic staggered and whatnot, but that's a really big problem for them as they move forward. And I, I think that is going to really rear their ugly head. And they got a fascinating game coming up on Wednesday against the Phoenix Suns. So let's kind of dive into this, and it's kind of a tailing off point, or a nice jumping off point, which is the fact that Dallas is one of these, I got like five teams that I want to talk about in terms of taking positions on early. And Dallas is one of those teams. Dallas is, I've kind of laid out there in everything, right? I bet under their win total. Talked about the issues with their backcourt. I do think that Dallas is going, to, they, is going to come into this season as a very overvalued team by the betting market. And I do think that there are going to be some indicators here, and we're seeing it early already, that this is going to be a team that early on, my position is going to be to play against the Dallas Mavericks. Now, some call it fading the Dallas Mavericks, whatever it's going to be, however you want to phrase it. Uh, phrase it uh, I think that is going to be the way to do it. Because when you look at, let's look at Wednesday, for example, okay? On Wednesday, they're taking on the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns, who they faced in Game 7, right, of that Western Conference semifinal round, and they were a seven-point underdog in that Game 7 in a playoff game. Now, we can make the argument that, look, it was a home playoff game. Home court is magnified. It came out to be worth about four, four and a half points in the in the postseason home court did. It was very important, so it makes some sense that the number is higher then. But these are two teams that come in very similar to the two teams that took the four the last time out in the postseason. And one of them got significantly worse with the loss of Jalen Brunson. The other remains essentially intact, with the only change being that Jay Crowder is not going to be available for them. And that is the first, I think, sign that I'm going to look for to say, okay, well, the last time these two teams met in a postseason setting, at least, it was seven. Now we're talking about four and a half. So it does give you an idea that the the gap between these two teams has shrunk by a market standpoint. But I'm not sure if it should. I mean, when you look at Dallas with the loss there, the fact that there is a, there is a, I would say, an indication, if you looked at some of the numbers for them defensively, that this could be a team that... Uh, is due for some regression when it comes to their defensive play, even though they were great last season. I think a lot of people might find that shocking. Um, but when you look at their numbers defensively, while they were a top 10 unit right around there in terms of non-garbage time defensive efficiency, uh, there's an argument to me maybe that you look at it in terms of shot quality that maybe they could be a little bit worse uh, than last season. 
So all these things kind of put together, I do think that one of the positions I want to take early, and maybe that manifests itself in laying four and a half with Phoenix. We'll see what the market does um, on Wednesday. But I do think that Dallas is a team that early on, my position is going to be to play against them because I think the market has come into this season with an overvalued sense of how good the Dallas Mavericks are. So, and then that's kind of the theme as you're kind of listening to this, you can tell and taking positions are, I find team X overvalued or undervalued. And thus my position will be that I'm going to play on them or against them relatively frequently. And you're going to find stretches throughout the season where this takes place. It's not just going to be at the beginning of the year. There's going to be times where teams, whether it be injury, whether it be addition, whatever it is, they're going to go through stretches and runs, and you're going to kind of want to be ahead of them. So that's why you take your positions early so that you can get ahead of some of these runs. You know, one of the best examples that I can think of in recent years, obviously there was the Detroit Pistons last year. For those who rode Detroit um, at the end of the regular season, remember they covered 14 out of 15 games. I did not ride them at all. Uh, I think I bet on like three or four of those games did not get in on that like I should have. Uh, but the Brooklyn Nets from the year before that, if, if any of you remember, there was that stretch where KD and Kyrie went out and it was just James Harden's team and the market just plummeted on Harden. And I think they covered 11 straight games. I think I bet on nine of them. Uh, I just rode that wave because I knew that the market had undervalued that squad and sure enough, it paid off. So this is kind of what we're looking for here. And hopefully uh, it comes out to where we're right in the positions that we're taking. So, Dallas Mavericks are going to be one of them. Let's move to a team that I think I want to kind of jump on early and I'm really interested in. So I haven't talked about this team really at all in any sense. And why would you? They're a team that are on the fringes of the play-in race in the Eastern Conference. Um, But I I hate to say this. I kind of like what the Washington Wizards are bringing to the table with this team. The roster is not terrible, it's just it's a bunch of guys that if you literally if you spread them out on benches across the NBA, a lot of these NBA teams would be really happy to have them. Um, but as a group and as a starting five and as a team that is built on these dudes, you know, are they going to win a title anytime soon? No. But I mean, look at this. Monty Morris is a solid scoring guard. A one seventeen points per one hundred shot attempts last season. That's a very good rate. He can finish at the rim, shot 68% within four feet, shot 39% on corner and non-corner three-point attempts last season. You know, is he a good facilitator as a point guard? No, the, the assist rate's pretty low for a guy who's going to play point, but he's a good scorer. I think he fits next to a ball-dominant guy like Bradley Beal. So he works, right? Monty Morris played next to a ball-dominant guy, albeit not a guard, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, Will Barton, again, coming with the, from Denver with uh, Monty Morris. So there is some continuity there. He's a decent defender, solid shooter, we'll call it, 37%. And for a 6'6 wing, he's pretty decent too. He's got a defensive rebounding rate of 12.8%, which is good for a guy at his position of his size. And you have Kuzma, who also is a really good rebounder. He grabbed 21.2% of opponent missed shots last season. And I think that's, to me, like that's going to be a strength of this starting core is going to be rebounding. Barton's a solid rebounder. Kuzma's a good rebounder. Even statistically, Kristaps Porzingis is a solid rebounder. And if you look at their overall depth, Davis Bertans, or excuse me, Davis Bertans, uh, that's a Mavericks name, who, uh, by the way, doesn't look like he's going to play for the Dallas Mavericks against the Phoenix Suns either. So that's going to be something uh, to watch. The name I was going with was Denny Avdia, who turned out to be a really solid defensive piece for them last season, who's going to be coming off the bench for them, a good young player. DeLon Wright, just like a steady guard that's coming off the bench that can play for them in terms of their point guard. Daniel Gafford is a really good backup center to have, is a solid defender and rim protector and a decent rebounder in his own right. Like there, When you look around this roster – 
It's just a bunch of guys that were like, yeah, you know, I'd like that guy on my team. Uh, but not so much, yeah, I'd like to build a starting five out of those guys. But I do think this team is maybe a little undervalued as we come into the year. Uh, that number against the Indiana Pacers Wednesday night, it got bet down to one and a half. Um, very tempted to play Washington there, but just kind of tempted to play Washington as we move forward here because I do like the makeup of this roster. And, and I do think that they're going to be competing for a play-in spot as we get well, you know, deeper into the year, obviously, and once we reach the end of the regular season. And I don't know if I'm going to bet on them all 82 games, but I do think early I kind of want to take the position of supporting the Washington Wizards because I don't hate what they have. Now, one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch is uh, Bradley Beal, already in COVID protocol in the preseason, missed a good chunk of it. What that's going to be like in terms of you know his continuity with these guys and how he's going to look in terms of his play once the season begins, conditioning because you know maybe he didn't get the workouts in that he needed because he was in COVID protocol. Those are going to be the things that I want to track, but. Starting five, Amani Morris, Bradley Beal, Will Barton, Kyle Kuzma, and Porzingis with backups like DeLon Wright, Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford. I, I like it. And, you know, we'll see if the young kid, Johnny Davis, hits. Uh, the reports have been very uneven. The play has been very uneven. Uh, but overall, I think that this Washington team is maybe a little bit better than the market indicates. And if we're using that one and a half as our home court advantage, um, which I'm planning on coming into the year using it because that's what it was last season, and I, I think there's um, there's a case to be made that they're better than three points uh, than the Indiana Pacers uh, on the road. So we'll see because, you know, one and a half, yeah, the one and a half, three on a neutral. Um, but I, I do think that they rate better than just three points better than the Indiana Pacers. And that kind of gives you that indication on Wednesday that uh, that might be the case. So I would look to maybe take that position. I, I think I am at least on the Washington Wizards. So we got two of the five teams, um, a couple of interesting others. Let's go to one that, I think it might be, let's go to another overvalued team. Um, and I might might make some enemies with this one. Um, but I'm not sure I really like what Cleveland's going to bring to the table from a value standpoint, okay? A lot of people like the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think on paper, I totally get it. When Donovan Mitchell comes over, him and Darius Garland form a really dynamic backcourt. Uh, you have Evan Mobley, one of my favorite young players in the NBA, and a lot of people's favorite young players in the NBA. Him and Jared Allen, of course, form one of the best defensive duos from a front court standpoint in the association. All of these things are really good and really solid positives. Um, but at the same time, there's a couple of things that really bother you about them. The first of which is they're kind of undersized along the wing. Isaac Okoro, who I believe they just gave some money to, uh, Okoro is kind of undersized as a guy who is going to build, uh, bring up uh, some of those matchups on his end, you know, six foot six, six foot six, but against some of these guys that are six seven, six eight, giving up a couple of inches and some poundage, uh, that's going to be a little bit of a problem when you're trying to find some wings uh, to defend. And like, even think about their first matchup this coming uh, coming up on Wednesday. It's a team in the Toronto Raptors that is just littered with six seven, six eight bodies uh, who are super switchy and athletic. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a matchup problem for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And here's the thing that gives me an idea that the market might be overvaluing Cleveland. Uh, we have gone from the open of three and a half for Toronto down to two and a half. So if that's one that either continues to drop or starts to float around that three rope, like come back, I think laying that with Toronto is going to be the move because one, I think that the market is overvaluing Cleveland. And two, I think it's a really good matchup for Toronto. But even looking a little bit deeper with the Cleveland Cavaliers, so outside of hey, you know what, Isaac Okoro is a little undersized. They might have some trouble with teams uh, that have really strong, dominant wings or multiple wings uh, like they do, like they're going to face against the Toronto Raptors. You know, a lot of people, I think, would say, well, you know, 
Donovan Mitchell might not be the best defender of the world. You can switch Evan Mobley onto guys, and they'll be perfectly fine with that. The problem is, if you are doing that, because Evan Mobley is perfectly capable of switching onto a perimeter player and defending him, where is Donovan Mitchell? Well, he's defending a frontcourt player that he's going to be severely undersized against. Like, with switching, it's great that you can switch one guy onto somebody, but you've got to be able to execute the switch on both ends, right? It's not just, hey, let's switch and forget about the other matchup. The other team's not going to do that. So if, like, let's just, this is just an example, again, using Wednesday. If Scotty Barnes is going to, you know, go after Donovan Mitchell and they're going to switch that and Evan Mobley's going to come over, well, that's great. Let's kick it to OG Ananobi, who's going to have Donovan Mitchell on him. Or let's kick it over to Pascal Siakam, who's going to have Donovan Mitchell on him. And let's go after it in that sense. And you don't really see matchup mis- uh, match up hunting a lot in the regular season. And Toronto is not as great of a half-court-oriented team as some. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell has been so poor as a defender that I think that's something that's going to get exploited even in the regular season. And the same goes for Darius Garland, who is very much smaller and is going to be hunted, I think, quite a bit too. So I think that ultimately leads me to a team that I'm I like I just kind of want to start to play against. And the other thing too is, you know, like this depth. We're looking at Raul Neto, Karis Levert, uh, talked about Okoro. Uh, Kevin Love is Kevin Love going to be able to replicate what is like was a season that came out of nowhere uh, for Kevin Love last year and some that actually voted him for six man of the year. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. Uh, And that's what kind of bothers me with Love. I mean, if you look at it too, like the points per shot attempt, it was his highest since the 2019, 2020 season. He only played 56 games there. Uh, And it's been one, it was one of his more efficient seasons that we have seen uh, in a really long time. Kevin Love. Uh, If you're looking at it, from the standpoint of shooting efficiency. It was his best shooting season uh, since the 2017-2018 season. He shot 42% from three that year. He shot 39% from three uh, last season. Uh, Those are the kind of numbers that are bugging me a little bit with Kevin Love uh, when you're talking about being able to replicate all of those um, numbers from an efficiency standpoint uh, just a season ago. You know, the guy's getting old, man. He's already 34. Uh, and as we move forward, it's going to be harder to replicate those years. And if you're banking on that to have another six-man-of-the-year potential type season, I, I just don't know if that's going to be the case. And so that kind of bugs me about their depth. And as you move forward, they might get a little bit better. Ricky Rubio is going to work his way back from injury, and he'll be back sometime soon. But I don't love it. And, and when you're talking about like guys like Chetty Osman, who are going to take up some minutes at small forward and you have to defend against some of the other small forwards of this league, don't know if that's going to be the case. And yet they enter the year very highly rated. I'm going to go with the mindset that they are a little overvalued by the market. That's why I kind of re- I recommend them in a guide to go under their win total. And it's going to be a strategy I take early on here against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Next up. So we've got a couple of teams already in the books. So we've talked about the Cleveland Cavs. We've talked about the Dallas Mavericks. We've talked about the Washington Wizards. So we have one positive team and we have one negative team. Uh, we'll go with the negative team first because I don't know if Wednesday um, it's going to be a great day for them. And injuries are starting to pop up too. Uh, but as I have said multiple times, the Chicago Bulls, I think, are in for a rough year. And I think I'm ready to kind of take the position that the Bulls are going to be a team worth fading as we start the year. And the market's starting to move in that direction. Miami is a six-and-a-half, seven-point favorite against Chicago. Uh, I'm willing to say that closes like seven-and-a-half by the time we get to tip-off. Uh, Zach Levine is injured. He's already unquestionable on the injury report. So that's something to monitor as you move into that game and as you move forward. Because for those who don't remember... Zach Levine did have to go uh, undergo an off-season knee procedure, and they want to make sure that he's pain-free before he's going to be fully healthy and ready. And that is uh, somewhat problematic for a team that is already missing Lonzo Ball in that backcourt and is going to be pretty poor uh, defensively and needs as much as they possibly can when it comes to their offense. 
So Chicago, when you look at everything around them, it's just there's just so many negatives. And they're going to be that team, the team that finished in the uh, end of the regular season, post-All-Star break, 117.9 defensive rating, a team that could not protect the rim, a team that regularly got beat off the bounce. They're just not, I think, a team that is going to be set up for success, and they're going to look much more like the team that fell down the standings in the second half of the year. And the other part, too, from at least the standpoint of what you're going to get from some of the offensive role players Again, for DeMar DeRozan, are you going to be able to replicate the season that he did? Uh, from a points-per-shot attempt standpoint, it's actually identical to his last year in San Antonio. However, it was over a uh, the highest usage rate of his career since the 2016-2017 season. Uh, that's absolutely wild. If you're looking at it from a mid-range shooting standpoint, something that he loves to do, it was a career-high 49% on all mid-range attempts last season. He shot 46% on log mid-range shots, 53% on short mid-range shots. That was by far a career high for him. On non-corner three-point attempts, it was the first time in his career that he shot better than 34% from beyond the arc and above the break three-point shots. It was just the sixth time uh, that he shot over 30% on corner three-point attempts. Here's the thing. It was the first time since the 2016-2017 season that he shot over, uh, let's see, yeah, over 33% from corner three-point attempts. So if you're not understanding what I'm saying here is it was a career year. It was a career year for DeMar DeRozan in multiple, multiple categories. Can he replicate that? Because I would say it's probably unlikely. He's going to be good again. But it's very unlikely that he's going to be able to replicate that. And with Lonzo Ball out and Io Dusunmu at point guard, I think you're just in a position where it's going to be kind of tough from a defensive standpoint to keep this up. Io Dusunmu was a really solid player for them. But he's young. When he was on the floor, the defensive rating got much worse. And I think that this is going to be a team that is worth playing against as you move forward into the regular season because I don't know if the market has really realized how much worse they are this year without Lonzo Ball, with the injury to Zach Levine, and just the noise around it that makes it seem like they're going to play it somewhat safe. And that's going to be something that has me on the opposite side of Chicago pretty often in the regular season. And last one that I want to talk about from a position standpoint, this one's going to be positive. Um, but the more I have researched them and watched a little in the preseason and looked at what they have going on, um, the more I am in, like to an extent, on the New York Knicks – and what they could be this year. And the reason why is I really like their bench uh, a lot. We know that Derrick Rose is obviously the captain, essentially, and he's going to do what Tom Thibodeau wants him to do. He's going to be one of the first guys off of the bench, and he's going to do everything he possibly can, a consummate professional. But Emmanuel Quickly is legit six-man-of-the-year six candidate. His efficiency numbers have been absolutely fantastic in his time in New York. He unquestionably makes his team better whenever he hits the floor. Uh, last season, 12.2 uh, efficiency differential, or plus 12.2. He made their uh, their team better by 12.2 points per 100 possessions. He improved their offensive rating by 6.1 points. He improved their defensive rating by 6.1 points. Their free throw rate skyrockets when he's out there on the floor. Their turnover rate drops. He is a great, great player for them. Obi Toppin, who seems to be getting more and more comfortable as a pro, last year was surprisingly efficient. Uh, when he was on the floor. I say surprisingly from my standpoint. Like I didn't realize how good Obi Toppin was a season ago. And from an efficiency differential standpoint, I mean, he made the New York Knicks better by nearly 10 points per 100 possessions. He was solid as a team defender. We know what he can do in transition and overall. 
Uh, I really like him. Of course, when Quentin Grimes is fully healthy, he's going to be a big part of this rotation. Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, coming from the Los Angeles Clippers, is a phenomenal defensive center and a rim protector who was a big reason why the Los Angeles Clippers made the run that they did last season. Some of the numbers for Hartenstein, too, when he's on the floor uh, defensively. Opponents shooting within four feet of the basket dropped by 6.2%. That's among some of the best centers in the NBA. Uh, Effective field goal percentage when he was on the floor last season by opponents dropped by 3.7%. He is a really good backup to have uh, behind uh, Mitchell Robinson. And from another standpoint of his game, too, uh, as far as a rebounder goes, can he get a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. He wasn't really that effective as a defensive rebounder, but solid as an offensive rebounder and as a shot blocker, blocked 3.3% of shots attempted when he was on the floor. The guy's going to be really solid. And so now Tibbs has two really solid centers that he's going to trust. He's got a lot of young pieces in this bench. And as you kind of look forward for what this team is going to face, like even this first matchup on Wednesday against Memphis, and we're starting to see this number tick down. Uh, it's down to five and a half now. Uh, like the one thing that I don't know the market is realizing here is that this bench is going to be worse for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think that this Knicks team is going to be in position against a lot of these teams uh, that they're going to they're going to be able with their bench to they're going to be able to take advantage of some of these spots. So. I would look out very much for the New York Knicks early in the season until the market kind of realizes uh, how much better they're going to be. Now, I will say this. The dynamic of Jalen Brunson in that starting lineup, that's going to make them better. But Tibbs does get a little stubborn when it comes to that starting lineup. And the numbers behind the core of that starting lineup last season were not good. And the question is, how much better does a guy like Jalen Brunson make them? That, I think, is something that we have to wrestle with, especially if a guy like Evan Fournier is going to be out there because not to blame all of the issues that the New York Knicks faced with Evan, uh, yeah, last year on Evan Fournier, uh, but it still wasn't the best when he was out there. And I, I think that's something that with Jalen Brunson, the question is how much better does he make this team? But at the same time, like when you're talking about some of like the lineups that could be out there, the ones that they could stagger and put together uh, with RJ Barrett and Jalen Brunson and some of these young guys, I think you're really, really intrigued. Some of those numbers too, by the way, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitch and Robinson on the floor together. That's four of the projected starting five this season, outscored by 5.3 points per 100 possessions. So like that's kind of bad. And, and with those four out there, defensive rating of 115.8, obviously kind of bad as well. And so the question is, are they going to be better with Jalen Brunson? Sure, but by how much? But I still think that this team has a lot to offer, especially when it comes to their depth, and I'm really intrigued by it. And I do think that this team's going to be pretty live Wednesday and uh, early on in the season. So those are my five teams. I think that's really more important from a standpoint of what this conversation is about is, you know, you don't have to blindly follow the five teams that I'm talking about. Um, that's just the way that I evaluate them and what I'm going to do. I think it's more important from a conversational standpoint as you listen to this, just be like, okay, like, what are the five, four, three teams that I'm going to take my position on? You could be the opposite. You could think that the Knicks stink and that you're going to take your position on them. That's a great thing about sports betting. It's all subjective in terms of how we rate and evaluate these teams. But I do think it's important to kind of, this is the thing that I got to get better at too. So for all of you out there, um, not only sticking, like, like taking positions on teams, but sticking to them as well. Because there were quite a few times last season where I would take a position on the team and after two results, let's say, uh, and both of them lost, I would get gun shy and kind of get off of it. But then the team, I think the Timberwolves are a really good example of this. You know, the Timberwolves didn't get off to the start that I expected them to. So I kind of got off the bandwagon and sure enough, they continue to roll, continue to roll. And there's times where, um, 
there's time or the Thunder are a really good example too. The Thunder I backed relatively early, got off the train after a couple of blowouts, but then sure enough, the Thunder ended up being the best ATS team in the NBA. And there's other times that I'm wrong. Uh, you know, last year I took a position early that the Memphis Grizzlies were an overvalued squad. They finished as the best ATS team in the league. Uh, I was wrong about something like that. So you always want to judge where you're at, but I would also say don't get too early on pulling the tr- or excuse me on jumping off. Right, allow sample sizes to play out. And sometimes you're going to take it on the chin when it comes to a team like the Memphis Grizzlies for me last year. And other times you're going to hit it out of the park, like those nets, that net run that I was talking about. Uh, If you were on the Pistons last year, the Timberwolves, whatever it's going to be, and that's very much worth it. And again, even when you're taking it on the chin on a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, it's about the overall sample size of the season. And that's the other part about it. You're going to go through highs. You're going to go through lows. But at the end of the day, once you're done with the course of an 82-game schedule for 30 teams, you know, whatever that is, I can't remember, so like 1,320 games, um, the point is to make a profit. So you're going to go through ebbs and, low, ebbs and flows of the season. Uh, the point, though, is to kind of stick it through. So, And I trust me, I have to tell myself all the, that all the time. The NBA season is quite the grind, man. And uh, some of these other sports, like those who bet the NBA or the Major League Baseball every single day or hockey every day, but these money line sports with some randomness, so much randomness in them. And the NBA can get pretty random too with the availability of players. Don't look at me, man. I could not do that. Andy, all these other guys, uh, Adam, uh, talking about, of course, Andy McNeil and Adam Burke, our cohorts here at VSIN. No idea how it gets done. All right, with that, uh, we are all done for this week. Like I said, I wanted to make this a relatively short episode as Wednesday is upon us. Uh, Kelly Bidlin is going to be coming up later this week. Thursday is what we're shooting for. So, again, um, as we move forward, sorry, a little bit of a personal issue kind of put this early week in flux. But Mondays and Thursdays will be the episodes for the podcast. Kelly will be with us on Thursdays, and we will figure it out from there. And don't forget, daily market reports will be up every single morning. So please, like, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, good luck, man. We'll talk to you on Thursday.